and we are back. Welcome back to the Primal Podcast, everybody. Every now and again, when you're having a conversation, not listening to a podcast, when you get to the end of the podcast, you immediately wish you could listen to Volume 2 and Volume 3 and Volume 4 because there's so much to talk about with that particular person that you think it should just keep going and going and going. My guest on the podcast today is exactly like that. This guy's already been on an episode of the Primal Podcast, and as soon as we finished, I wanted to ask him more questions about more different aspects of life and all the value that he brought to the show. My guest today, once again, is Robbie Bennett, and I've been hounding Robbie for the last few weeks to come on the podcast again because the response to the last episode we did together was absolutely brilliant. I personally took a huge amount of knowledge from that episode, and everybody I spoke to who listened to the episode said the exact same thing. So Robbie has kindly agreed to come back on. Robbie Bennett is a health performance coach at the ISI, the Irish Strength Institute in Dublin, and he works as part of a team whose mission is to help their clients achieve their goals when it comes to health, wellness, performance and fitness. Now, this isn't some gym bro gig. The guys at the ISI have spent years gathering expertise and information from the top minds all around the world when it comes to health. What that means for me and you is that we don't have to wait until we get sick and then go and try and get somebody to fix it for us. We can take the information that these guys are sharing, apply it to our own lives, and improve our outcomes ourselves. We can take control of our own health. We can start to decide the food we eat, the way we live our lives, the people we surround ourselves with, and the habits that we form, and we can decide to make changes now that are going to benefit us in the long term. The last time Robbie was on the podcast, we spoke about good health, and that conversation ended up bleeding into lots of different areas of health. This conversation was exactly the same. We started off talking about cholesterol and cardiovascular health, and I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast knows somebody who's been affected by these topics. And we spoke some more about how we need to take more responsibility for our health and how we can actually go about doing that. Guys, just another cracker with Robbie Bennett. Again, I really enjoyed it, and I'm already looking forward to number three with Robbie, so I hope you guys enjoy it too. Welcome to our shared journey to find the answers to questions about health, wellness, nutrition, performance, life, and success and to craft the most resilient, hardy, and happy humans you've ever seen. Welcome to the Primal Podcast. Okay, welcome back to the Primal Podcast. We have, for the second time on the Primal Podcast, Mr. Robbie Bennett. Robbie, thanks so much for coming back. Well, cheers for having me back. Appreciate it. No, it was uh, I was forced to have you back. Not that I didn't want to have you back, <laughs> but uh, it was a, a very high demand to have you back on the podcast after last episode, which was absolutely brilliant. Um, and one of the main reasons, personally, I wanted to have you back was every time, every now and again, you'd send me a text or you'd send me a paper and we'd have a conversation. And within 30 seconds, the two of us are riled up and I'm in my yeah. house kicking things and you're probably jumping up and down and swinging your top around. <laughs> uh, because we're, we're very passionate about the same concepts, I suppose. And uh, now we come from different worlds and relatively different backgrounds, but we have common interests when it comes to people's health and people's wellness. Um, and obviously, as was very clear to everybody from the last episode we did, you're very well read and experienced in this kind of stuff as well. So you've got good value to offer to these kind of conversations. It's not just opinion stuff. Um, so what I would like to talk about today, and um, there's a few specific topics that we will get into, but in general, when I talk to people and when you talk to people, one of the big kind of messages we try and get across is to take control of your own health. But a lot of times people don't really know what that means because there's a system in place all over the world where you live your life and when something happens, you go and get it fixed. And that's kind of kind of the way people treat their TVs and it's the way people treat their cars and it's the way people treat their bodies. But 
I think people like ourselves and the people that we work with and surround ourselves with have a different approach to this, which I, I'm massively passionate about, I think really, really works, which is intervene before, I call it before you have the heart attack, but before something goes wrong, start to make changes or invest in your own kind of wellness and lifestyle. Um, and don't just wait until you need to take the medication or you need to go see the doctor or whatever. Um, now, there are situations where you break your leg and stuff like that, where that's fine, there's no problem with that. But... Yeah. Um, I know from, from speaking to you, and we touched on it in the last podcast, that when you're dealing with your clients, whether it be strength and conditioning or nutrition or health and wellness or whatever it is, the approach is fairly similar at a base level. It's to try and educate somebody to make good decisions, to uh, to, to kind of prevent the bad things and promote the good things. Would that be fair, a fair enough comment? Yeah, that would be a big thing. But people think people need to take responsibility for their own health. So they, they can't lay it on to their doctor, their trainer, their nutritionist or whatever because they are in direct control of where they are health-wise. So it's not a matter of, okay, when they come to see me, hey, can you fix me? Yeah. No, no. When people come to me, they have manifested that body, those health conditions or their status of health. So in order to be you know a healthier individual or a fitter individual, you need to manifest that through a, a different lifestyle, a different nutrition, better sleep or whatever it is. But again, how I say it to my clients is, imagine all these uh, influences or lifestyle factors are put together into a bowl or a soup and stewed together. All of those factors have manifested you. Yeah. It's no accident where you are with your health conditions or your body composition or your energy or whatever it is. It's not just a fluke. It's happened because there's a reason. So we need to figure out those reasons, those lifestyle factors, and we need to fix them. But they need to take responsibility. So here's my first question, because that's it's a brilliant way of explaining it. And this is, I, I say something similar to people. Now, I'm not dealing with clients like you are, but anybody who asks me on the reason I did this podcast was to try and deliver that message. Do you immediately get resistance from people saying... Well, hold on, Robbie, because it, it sounds, and I know it's not, and it sounds to people who are in a position where they're struggling with their health that you're blaming them for that position, as opposed to just stating facts. You made decisions, and you're here. That's fine. Now we can now we can move forward and make some different decisions. But a lot of people say, oh, "Well, look, sure, I, I have to I have to do all these things, and sure, life is stressful, and the whole sure, look, I've had to do these things for so long." Do, do you get that resistance from clients and from people in general? So, uh, like like you said, I'm there to educate. Yeah. So uh, people are there. They're not there to be my best friend. They're there to get results. So I'm not there to please people. I'm I'm there to show them what may, yeah, they may be, be better what, coming out. But here what now. may what they may be doing wrong. So a lot of the time they don't. It's not. Because lack of hard work, it's just education. Yeah. So a lot of time I'll hear, oh my God, I didn't know I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't be eating this. So a, a lot of time it's just they haven't had time to look into it and they really don't have the structure. They have the structure of nutrition or what macronutrient ratios or when to eat or what to eat. Yeah. It's just a pure lack of education. And once I can educate them and when they see the change in their energy, their mood, their body composition, then I have buy-in. Yeah. Buy like I'll always teach my clients I'll never hand out a diet sheet or whatever and just say hey follow this I'll see you in two weeks yeah, yeah anyone's ever been to see me would be laughing listening to this right now <laughs> because they're saying yeah. we spend 60 minutes 90 minutes in the office we've chatted nutrition and I send them off and I'm, I'm, what I say is I'm like Google Maps if we put in a destination Google Maps will show you the fastest direction there I'm going to show you the fastest direction to reach your goals okay, okay? you can sway off there might be a roadblock here and there but the further you go off course the longer it's going to take you to get to your goals. Yeah, yeah. But I want, <laughs> I'm a pain in the ass. I want results and I want them fast. So that, that's how I go about things. Yeah, and so do, so do most people, I suppose. But people want that, that yeah. fast, yeah. But what I also say is there's degrees of discomfort. 
Okay. Okay. Depending on how low you want to get your body composition or how good you want to feel. Well, if you want to feel a little, just a little good, we only have to do a little bit. If you want to do, you know, feel a little bit better, more better, you have to do a little bit more. You want yeah. to feel exceptional? Well, there's a lot we need to do then. Yeah. Yeah. So there's degrees of discomfort for degrees of reward. I like that. I like that way of putting it. Yeah. And your dad, right, you, you, you mentioned something there, and I've seen this over and over and over again in the clinic. I've seen this with my own family and friends. I've seen this with people who've made changes. As soon as they get that taste, yeah. there's big resistance to start. Big resistance. They're skeptical. Massively skeptical, and they've habits. They've built habits. And I think that's a huge problem, by the way, is people have built these bad habits. It's very hard to change a habit. Even if you have the education and you know it's going to be good for you. Like, loads of people know smoking's not good for you. They still smoke. Loads of people know drinking's not good for you. They still drink. So it's hard to change a habit. Change. People don't like change. People don't like change. Or yeah. they like routine, you know? So we yeah. need to shift that routine. Or But once you do, you get that little taster. You're like, oh, gee, man, I can feel good. And I think you, you've said it before. I know I've said it before. It's a great way of putting the people are rocking around a two and three and don't even know that that's two and yeah. three. They think they're eight and nine. And then they're like, they get a taste like, Whoa, I was down I can there. feel like this. I'm superhuman yeah. now. And you're like, but that's only the start, really. Like, <laughs> that's day one. Um, so I think that it's really important for that. Um, but, okay, I'm going to dive straight into it. Right? There's no Go point. We're going to get there anyway, so I'm going to dive straight <laughs> into it at the start. And this has been a hot, a hot topic, a hot requested topic. But a great way of illustrating what we're talking about here, if this sounds a little bit airy-fairy to people, is the topic of cholesterol. And immediately I hear ears perking up and everyone's sitting up in their seats. Um, yeah. Because this is something that everybody knows somebody who's going through a cholesterol issue. I'm going to use air quote. We're on video now, so I can't do air quotes. Yeah, yeah. Um, everybody knows an uncle or a dad or a brother or a sister or, or whatever who's gone to the doctor and they've heard about cholesterol and LDL and these numbers and you have to get these numbers down and what happens then you're given the medication, you're given the statin. So everyone's familiar with what that is and what that looks like. But let's let's come at this uh, a, a little bit with a little bit of structure on it. Number one, could you explain cholesterol to us what it is, number one, and you can How take long all you have? the time you want. <laughs> there's, no, there's no one else coming in here. Uh, so number one, what is cholesterol? Because then we can get an understanding really of what you're going to say next, which, uh, which I love, which is really, really important. First of all, what is cholesterol? Okay, so first off, before I even talk about cholesterol or the types of cholesterol, we need to understand the hypothesis, the cholesterol hypothesis, which is elevated levels of cholesterol cause placking in the arteries. The plaque fills up like a pipe or oil, and once that pipe is clogged, we have a heart attack or a stroke, and, it, and cholesterol causes heart disease. So saturated fat and cholesterol, they, that's the hypothesis, raises blood levels of cholesterol, clogs the pipes, we have a, a bad incident. Yeah. Okay. It looks like it really hurt you to say those words. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you struggled through that. So that that's a simple analogy. Very simple. I've talked probably about sixty seconds, and I've explained the whole cholesterol hypothesis here. Simple. So it's it's easy to talk about. Now, when we we look at cholesterol, if you're getting a blood test of cholesterol, and tell me if I'm going off track here, but no. there's there's a couple of markers you look at. You look at your total cholesterol traditionally. You look at your HDL, which is typically your the quote unquote the healthy cholesterol. Your LDL, which is your, your bad cholesterol, as they say, and your triglycerides, which would be a marker of kind of blood fats. And depending on the ratios of them and depending on how high your total cholesterol is will influence um, what they say would be you know heart disease, stroke, um, cardiovascular disease, and whether or not they're going to put you on a cholesterol-lowering drug. So that's, that's that. Now what you need to understand is um, your total cholesterol is usually your HDL, your LDL, and a little bit more added up, and that's it. But when we think about it, when we look at LDL, LDL is not cholesterol. Okay, but we actually try and figure out what LDL is. It's low 
density lipoprotein. So fats cannot be transported around through the blood. So they need a carrier. It's like uh, a bus. So cholesterol can board a bus, like an, and that bus is the LDL, and carry it around the body. So LDL is actually made in our bodies. So uh, we actually produce cholesterol. It's an essential nutrient. Okay. So we produce around 75 to 80% of our body's cholesterol in our livers. Now, the rest, the 25 to, let's say, 20%, we consume through our diet. Now, I'm going off now because I was meant to be talking about HDL. But <laughs> well, this get, is important to yeah. understand cholesterol in general. I think these are all very so important So we, we actually produce it. So what happens, then if um, we decide to go on a low-fat or low-cholesterol diet? People think that your it's cholesterol gonna is going to lower. Yeah. It ain't that simple. Yeah. Okay, what will happen is our body will just produce more because we have a sufficient, we have a need for cholesterol. We need cholesterol for every cell in our body. So if we're not getting it through the diet, our body has something called a negative feedback loop. And what that means is we need to be hitting a certain level every day. If we don't get it through diet, we're, our body will make more. Okay. If we are consuming quite a bit from diet, our body will make less. But the level will always be the same. Okay. Okay. So what you're saying is, it doesn't matter if you're eating loads and loads of high cholesterol, quote unquote, again, we're on camera, quote unquote foods, your cholesterol is not necessarily going to rise. It's probably going to, your natural production of cholesterol is probably going to lower. Yeah, but the, the level won't change. But the level won't change itself. Yeah. Yeah. And now we need to understand, okay, does fats and cholesterol actually raise blood levels of cholesterol. So the theory is uh, saturated fat will increase cholesterol levels and cholesterol levels increase heart disease. And But I challenge any listener out there, if saturated fat was so terrible, find me the enzyme or the pathway that converts saturated fat to cholesterol. There is none. It doesn't exist. No, it doesn't exist. So people will categorize, because red meat or eggs, they contain saturated fat, but they also contain cholesterol so they kind of mix it in as one oh saturated fat cholesterol eh, same thing yeah. therefore we shouldn't be consuming either of it okay so that's one thing okay now even if we're consuming those cholesterol rich foods is that a bad thing i would be of the opinion no so that's ldl and actually by the way ldl is where we produce the majority of our hormones our sex hormones your estrogens our progesterones our pregnenolones our testosterones our cortisol so if we haven't if we have not got very much cholesterol we have not got very much hormones. Yeah, that's actually a massive point. I want to put a big ring around that one and highlight that one. So for most people that don't know this, you need cholesterol for hormone production. Cholesterol is not the enemy. You but, need but, but let's talk about production. that. Yeah. So is cholesterol essential? Yes, of course it is. So we let's look at some of the roles of cholesterol in the diet or in our bodies. We need it for our sex hormones, which we've talked about. So if we don't have cholesterol, we're not going to have adequate hormones. We need cholesterol for our immune systems, which is extremely important. So if we are reducing our cholesterol level, we're going to have an impaired immune system. Okay. We need cholesterol for vitamin D synthesis. Vitamin D, the most important immunomodulatory hormone, because yeah. vitamin D is hormone not a vitamin. D yeah. Yeah. Hormone D. So we synthesize vitamin D in our skin with some cholesterol through UVB radiation from the sunlight. Okay. So another thing that's important, we also need cholesterol for the production of bile. Um, if you're familiar with bile, bile is produced in our, our liver stored in our gallbladder, and it helps with the emulsification and fats, yeah. of fats and the absorption of fats. Yeah. So 
if we're reducing cholesterol, we're impairing all of those things. So it's it's not as simple as reduce one marker and improve the health of the individual. We need to look at it holistically. Yeah. So wh- why why has it been demonized then? Why, why is it this big bad? Because it literally is as simple as you explained at the start. High cholesterol equals heart disease. Get that number down, you're going to be healthy. You've literally just said the opposite. Literally the opposite, <laughs> which I agree <laughs> okay, with. Okay, 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 okay. And which is very well supported. I'm not just saying this is yeah. your opinion. It's very well supported by the science. Like this is it's, and you've explained it really, really in a, in a way that's very easy to understand. This is not trying to blind you with numbers. It's very, very simple. This is an essential nutrient in the body. Your body produces it. Like when was the last time your body produced something that kind of wasn't warranted or wasn't needed in the body? Yeah. And again, it has its own regulatory systems as well. So, well, that that's LDL. So let's move on a little bit to HDL, which people classify as the good cholesterol. Yeah. So LDL, made in the liver, transports hormones and nutrients around the body. And then HDL kind of picks up leftover cholesterol molecules, brings it back to the liver for recycling or uh, excretion. Yeah. Triglycerides being blood fats, and triglycerides can be sometimes a marker of excess energy in the diet. So I'm not saying cholesterol is a useless marker, and like you have to see where I'm coming from as well, but there's some value to it. Yeah. But we need to treat the individual, not the number. So if cholesterol is high, does reducing cholesterol improve the overall health? Or really, we want to live long, and we want to live healthy. So does reducing that number extend health, lifespan or health span? I would be the opinion, no. Okay. Okay, because that, and again, because in my opinion, cholesterol doesn't cause cardiovascular or, health, or heart disease. Okay. Okay, so if that doesn't cause heart disease, you need to figure out what does. Yeah. Okay, so we need to think about that analogy that I used at the beginning, you know, our arteries being a pipe and being clogged up. Unfortunately, it's not that simple. So... Dan, uh, if, if you're, you're quite familiar with this. So placking only ever occurs in the arteries and not the veins. Okay. Now, is there a difference between the cholesterol level in the artery and the vein? <laughs> what do you think about that one? Give it a guess, 50-50. I'm going to say no. There's no difference. Yeah, but you have a difference in the vessel itself. Yeah, but if... There, if Cholesterol was the issue. You would see okay, just I, I see the, we're going with this. Yeah, just yeah, the yeah. amount of yeah, plaquing and calcification of the artery yeah. as you would the vein. Yeah, however you yeah, don't. Yeah, so yeah. same cholesterol concentrations, but veins never or never get uh, plaquing, but arteries do. Okay. So what's the difference? Now, <laughs> this is the analogy I use with my clients. So the biggest difference between an artery and a vein, so would be that an artery has much higher blood pressure. So it's pumping stuff incredibly fast and there's a lot of blood pressure. A vein will be much slower and much smoother. It almost oozes through the blood. So the analogy I use is arteries are almost like uh, white water. Like uh, imagine a storm and the river is flowing incredibly quickly. Imagine you're in a kayak. You're bouncing left, right, all over the place. And if you're hitting the banks, you could be causing damage to the bank wall. Now, in a, in a vein, the water is just slowly drifting along. It's much calmer. It's completely different. So there's something called um, the like, mechanical damage hypothesis or da- uh, damage to injury hypothesis where if there's trauma to the arterial wall, the body needs to repair itself. And sometimes, and what happens is, imagine, let's say, for instance, you get a, a paper cut on your skin. Initially, what happens is you bleed, you clot, you get a scab, 
and eventually when the tissue is healed, the scab falls off. Okay, so we if we think about that in our arteries, if we get any sort of scabs or um, damage, we will clot and a, a scab will form. But what would happen if that scab fell off in our artery and went downstream to a, a small... It's going to block it up. Block it up and cause yeah. issues. So our body doesn't do that. So what it needs to do is it needs to repair and eventually... Absorb it. Absorb it or cover it over with something called the epithelial tissue. Yeah. So I think we talked about epithelial tissue on the last we podcast. Did, yeah, about the, gut, the, yeah. the gut. So the gut is one cell thick. So is our arterial wall. The, um, the epithelial tissue there, it's one cell thick. So for anyone listening, people say it's about as thick as your eyelid. I use the analogy, if you pluck the hair from your head, lay it out on the table, and you cut that hair in half with, like let's say, a super laser that you had or whatever, that's how thick it is, one cell thick. So it's incredibly thin, and it can be easily exposed to trauma. But we need to figure out, okay, well, if it, if heart disease is caused from mechani- mechanical trauma of the artery because of the higher blood pressure, that's that's one thing. So high, we know high blood pressure is a big issue. Yeah. We think, is there anything else that causes issues in the arterial wall? Well, the one I always hear of is this calcium score. Yeah. Okay, so a calcium score is when the tissue, um, let's say, clots and it clots up, it can sometimes calcify and based on your, your calcium score can be a big predictor of your risk of cardiovascular disease it's a much better predictor than cholesterol, cholesterol levels. yeah okay so now we need to look at uh, the mechanical issues as well so there's something else so you've got your epithelial layer and above your epithelial layer you've got something called your glycocalyx so the analogy I use for a glycocalyx is if you've ever tried to hell a fish and squeeze it, what would happen? Pop out, right? Pop out, it's like yeah. a bar of soap almost. That layer on the fish is the glycocalyx. So it's almost like a smooth layer that prevents sticking and, it, and uh, that's essentially what we have in our arteries. Okay. So it allows the blood to to move very it's well. Like a lubrication, I suppose. E- yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, imagine it as a layer of grass on our, our epithelial wall. Yeah. Now, anything that irritates our glycocalyx can cause epithelial damage, and epithelial damage causes increased risk of cardiovascular events. Okay. So we know mechanical issues can be increases of blood pressure, high blood pressure. But one thing that also really destroys our epithelial wall and our glycocalyx is chronically elevated blood sugar levels or extreme glucose variability. So that means huge spikes and huge drops. Yeah. So it's almost like putting petrol down and lighting on fire. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're touching on this now because another thing that's very common, and I have first-hand experience with this from family members and friends who've come back to me and told me that they were told that their cholesterol was high. Mm. So they were put on a reduced fat diet and a reduced cholesterol diet, and they were, they were told then to have, you know, the likes of flora or something like that on their scone or their bread, or their in their pasta instead of real butter. So they're essentially being put on a high-sugar diet, a high-carbohydrate, high-sugar yep. diet, and, I've just and a said, reduced fat diet. And what have you just said? One of the, the leading causes for a, a, an increase in this, I suppose, inflammation and damage to this epithelial cell is high-sugar and, and high-carbohydrate. So it's literally the opposite of what you should be doing. Yeah, And we won't get to, we won't get to the statin yet because we're still talking about the, yeah, the, but, the causes. But yeah, but like you, you mentioned that individual there, they were taken off saturated fat, which there's no 
mechanism, which I'm aware of, if anyone wants to send me it, go for it, but I challenge you to find it. There's no mechanism that you can turn saturated fat into cholesterol. Yeah. And then this individual is removing cholesterol. I guarantee if that individual was not on a cholesterol-lowering medication, that individual's cholesterol did not change. Yeah. If anything, it would have went up. Yeah. Because sometimes cholesterol can be elevated in times of inflammation and stress. So the analogy I sometimes use is... Um, Imagine me and you just said, all right, Dan, we'll leave this podcast. We'll go for a stroll. And we went down to the village and we went to the local pub down there. And as we walked down the main street, we noticed the pub was on fire. And we said, holy crap, why is this on fire? And then we see the fire brigade outside. And we said, ah, the fire brigade is after lighting that pub on yeah, fire yeah, and it's yeah. putting it out. Yeah. It was at the scene of the crime, but it did not commit the crime. Yeah. So just because you've got elevated cholesterol levels and you've got someone that's got, um, let's say, increased visceral adiposity or you know, let's say, fat around your organs, um, insulin resistance and diabetic and he- elevated cholesterol. And you, it's not the cholesterol that's the issue. Yeah. The cholesterol is there trying to decrease the inflammation you're causing due to maybe high stress, smoking, alcohol consumption and too much calories coming in. Yeah, yeah. If you drop that person's cholesterol, you're not doing shit to help them. Yeah, 100%. So I'm, I'm going to answer this question myself. I'm going to ask the question first then, why... Is that the advice given to people? And this is medical advice. And this is not, um, let me just clarify, yeah. and I need to be really clear on this, because you say this all the yeah. time as well. There's nothing against doctors or the medical fraternity. This is not medical like advice. This, this is just medical we're, advice. We're going back and forth. Yeah, we're, we're exploring the, uh, the the issue here, and we're exploring the, the numbers and the, the the real data behind this. And and as a caveat as well, you've seen cases, millions of cases, I'm sure, about millions, thousands of cases, thousands of cases yeah. where people have actually turned their health around and become healthier by not following the traditional advice. So there, there, there's evidence there on many different levels for this. But why is the advice then to stop eating saturated fat and to stop eating cholesterol-high foods? Because there's not an understanding there of that link. You've just said you've yet to see a link between saturated fat and a dietary saturated fat intake and an increase in cholesterol or a change in cholesterol level. But that's the advice being given. Okay, well, well, here's one for you. So when we look at the pathways in the body to, for cholesterol synthesis, there's an enzyme called HMG-CoA reductase. And essentially what that does is uh, that is a, a step in the synthesis of cholesterol in the body. Now, we know statins inhibit that pathway. Okay. Statutory fat does not, does not increase that pathway. Yeah. You know, it does, however, elevated levels of a hormone called insulin. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so yeah, if you know yeah, anything yeah. about insulin, uh, insulin is a hormone produced in the presence of sugar. It is to control our blood sugar levels to prevent them from going into hyperglycemia, which is too high blood sugar or fluctuations. Insulin grabs onto glucose in our bloodstream and stores it in tissues it can store in our liver or it can store it in muscle glycogen or it can store it as triglycerides, which are fats. fats yeah. But elevated levels of insulin which is produced with high sugar diets or high carbohydrate diets, increases cholesterol synthesis. Now, is the, cholesterol, the high cholesterol is the issue? No. Yeah. The high levels of insulin. But insulin is one marker that is very, very, very rarely tested on blood test. Okay. It, it is. It's bizarre. And again, this is not a medicine bashing thing, but it's it's literally, it's not, it's not good advice to tell somebody that the fire brigade is the problem. Yeah, that's th- and that's a great analogy because the fire brigade is there to put out the fire and the fire brigade is like the cholesterol in your bloodstream just in case anybody didn't grab this analogy and, and it's there 
in response to something that's going wrong. So if you figure out who the arsonist is and you put him in jail, yeah. he's not going to start any more fires. If you take it to fire brigade away and you leave the fire there, that's not going to help much, you know. It's, so you need to figure out and why. And to keep burning down buildings. Why the fire brigade is there in the first place. And that can be numerous reasons. That could be high blood sugar. It can be smoking, yeah. drug abuse, alcohol abuse, high stress, poor relationships. Yeah. Multiple factors. But, um, for instance, I have a number of clients that uh, are prescribed HRT from their doctor. Well, hormone replacement therapy, some, sometimes elevated cholesterol levels can be because of a hormone deficiency. So you usually see elevated cholesterol in an older population. You fix the hormone deficiency. The cholesterol goes whatever direction it wants to go. If, someone, if, if, I, or if a doctor fixes the hormone level and the cholesterol goes up, down, left, right, it'll go where it wants to go. Yeah. So to continue with your analogy then, let's go to statin. So... Correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm going to carry on your analogy. A statin could be like the sniper in the tree and he's taken out the driver of the fire brigade. So now the fire brigade can't respond anymore to the fire in the pub. So now the arsonist keeps going around burning down more pubs and the fire brigade can't get there anymore because he's being controlled. He's being restricted. His, yeah. his, his movement is being restricted. Now he can't get to all the fires to put all the fires out. Was Jeez, that f- you're really hanging me out today, aren't you? Is that fair enough, is it? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a fair to say. So with, with statins, the mechanism of action is they are HMG CoA reductase inhibitors. inhibitors. Yeah. So we're blocking that pathway for cholesterol synthesis. Okay. So when we block that pathway, like I said, we're blocking production of hormones downstream. So testosterone. Yeah. And like the life force hormone. And testosterone is an androgen. An androgen is to make man. Yeah. Yeah. So you were to make less man. And there's a strong link between testosterone and cardiac health. So again, yeah. there's another link oh, between... Huge. You know, and you know why that is? Because testosterone increases nitric oxide, nitric oxide yeah, yeah. which can actually improve cardiovascular health. You know what testosterone also does? Decreases sugars, improves muscle mass, improves insulin sensitivity, improves mood, libido. Yeah. Sounds like a better quality of life. Absolutely, yeah. But we also need to think, okay, if someone's got low testosterone... Why have they got low testosterone? Why? It goes back to the very beginning. If we've got someone that low testosterone and we say, you know what, we're not going to change anything. I'm just going to give this individual exogenous or injectable or oral testosterone and not change any factors. That's not good either. That's like putting, you know, a V8 engine into a, a tiny car not and rallying it. Brakes and not great yeah. suspension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you need to, you always need to ask why. Why has this happened? Why has this manifested? Yeah. So I don't want to hang you out the dry with this question. Why do you think that's? Why do you think we're, we're doing it this way? Why? Why? I okay. Obviously, at some point in history, it was decided that this is this is the only way we know at the moment to treat this disease, and we think this is the way to do it. Would it be correct? And it's probably, well, there's other factors there as well. But yeah, why? Why is it such a problem nowadays? And why do we still have people struggling with cardiac health and heart attacks and all this kind of stuff? But they're taking their medication, but they're going to the doctor. But they're and again, nothing against doctors yeah. there whatsoever. They only have so much time with patients. They only have so well. much time with patients. Like, and this is what like, this is why it's a lovely point to illustrate. The first thing you said is you want people to take responsibility for their own health because a, a doctor can't possibly explore all these avenues with you in the ten or fifteen minutes he or she is allowed to see you because they are under pressure to try and keep everything going, to try and keep to, to support the healthcare system to see everybody who needs to be seen. So it's not the doctor's problem; it's your problem. If you choose to ignore this information, that someone like Robbie or someone like the dad, the information's out there. You can read this stuff. You can learn about this stuff and take care of yourself. Why do you think there's still so many people who are in a in a bad way health wise with cardiac issues and with with cholesterol problems? If this information's out there. Wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a big one. I didn't give you time to prepare for that yeah, question. Yeah, but. yeah. So, 
one I think it's doctors only have so much time yeah. to learn and they're dealing with so many different cases on a daily basis and only have what five minutes so they have a patient in they're looking through the blood and they're saying what is the one thing I can do straight away to have a big impact on this person yeah. and they're going in and say I need you to fix me yeah yeah, yeah they're yeah. pushing the onus on the, the GP or whoever it is so I think a fast thing to do is just give them a medication send them off and say you know you're taken care of yeah but like you, you've heard the, the analogy or the story 50% of the stuff learned in medical school is false now it's up to the doctor to find out which 50% it is. It's mental. Yeah, that is mental. Now there's something called confirmation bias. Yeah. So if you learn something a certain way, it's very hard to unlearn that or think about it from a different different perspective. Yeah. So we've all been taught that saturated fat causes high cholesterol, high cholesterol causes heart disease, but we've never really questioned it. And we think a little bit deeper about it. Well, look at let's think about ancestrally when we would have been eating, let's say, Paleolithic. So meat, nuts, seeds, fruits, berries, you know, and vegetables. And look at our body composition, look at our muscle mass, look at our health back then compared to now. And you look at, let's say, in the 60s, 70s, when we start consuming much more carbohydrate-rich foods, looking at the food pyramid, our grains, our whole grains, our sugars, and then limiting our fats. And you see the rates of obesity, heart disease. You see all these hormone issues. You see all these mood issues. So if you think about it co uh, like consciously and look at the individual, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Yeah. So a lot of time, this, this is anecdotal, this is from, from my observation, but when clients come to see me, they are, the diet is 60%, 70%, even some 80% carbohydrates, very low fat because obviously, you know, because of popular recommendations, saturated fat must be limited. They're consuming huge amounts of polyunsaturated oils, like our rapeseed oil or vegetable oil, and they've got loads of issues. And initially, when I start talking about proteins and fats, they go, isn't that bad? I, I just say, you know what? You've been following the food pyramid, or you've been following the, the SID diet, so standard Irish diet. How's that going for you? Not so well. Well, let's change a couple of things. We'll see how we go. You can say, Robbie, you're full of shit, or we can give it a bit of time and see how it works. I always challenge my clients to go off, find information that may disagree with what I'm saying, and read it and think for themselves. Yeah. So I come into you as a client. Yeah. What What are and I don't expect you to, to write me up a program. What are some of the things? I mean, we talked about diet, but what are some of the things that I can do to avoid ever having to have an issue with this? If I if yeah, so prevention is better than prevention. Cure. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I'm sitting here now listening to you. I, as far as I'm aware, I don't have issues with my cholesterol. I'm so re yeah, yeah. I'm gonna rephrase how I said it. I don't have cardiac issues. I don't have issues with my cardiac health. So what are what are the biggest predictors of cardiovascular issue disease? Essentially, yeah. So first off, if you're not controlling your sugars, diabetics or pre-diabetics are three to five times uh, higher of an increase in cardiovascular disease okay. than non-pre-diabetics. So how do you detect diabetes or pre-diabetes? Well. It, most people see their doctors maybe every six months or every 12 months. Fortunately for me, I see my clients either once a week, twice a week, or yeah. every two, three weeks. So I see them much more frequently. Therefore, I can have a greater impact before they get into a bad situation. Yeah, It's simple to check your sugars. When you go to a, a doctor, you, if you've ever had a blood test done, you're looking at your fasting blood glucose. And 90% of the time, fasting blood glucose is A-OK -okay in a blood test. Of course it would be done because you fasted for 12 yeah. fucking hours, yeah. you know? You've done the cleanup, yeah. Yeah, of course. So it's going to look pretty. It's going to look good. Yeah. Now, insulin is not being tested for one. But what what I always recommend my clients do is they buy a continuous blood glucose monitor. 
One is called a Freestyle Libre. It's inserted into the arm for 14 days and I have them track their sugars. I'll give them a range to be and I'll say, <laughs> I kind of say this sarcastically, like, you can eat whatever you eat. When you want to You can eat whatever you want to eat as long as you're within the range I've given you. Okay. So if you go out of that range because you had a point, guess what? You can't have that point anymore. If yeah. you, oh, you eat that bar of chocolate and you're going out of the range, no, you can't have it. But I find when I've educated clients and they see a, a, you know, a square of chocolate, a milk chocolate in the middle of the night and, a, and a cup of tea or biscuits and my sugars went to eight or nine they see the the, the fluctuations in sugars they realize oh my god i didn't think it was doing that much to me yeah and then i'm sending them stuff and they see fluctuations in glucose or glucose variability or hyperglycemia and cardiovascular disease they're thinking why didn't no one tell me this yeah 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 so i can tell them of each sugar it's bad and it'll raise your sugars but until they actually see a number then it really resonates. You see them coming in and say, I didn't like know that. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I think checking someone's sugars for about 14 days to continuous blood sugar monitors are great. The finger pricks are okay, but they're a bit inconvenient. No yeah. one wants to prick themselves before a meal, an hour or 30 minutes after a meal, an hour after a meal. Yeah. It's a bit inconvenient. That's one thing. Next, we need to look at, okay, what they do for a living and if that is stressful. So any, any sort of sustained stress can really exacerbate cardiovascular disease. So... Um, stress can be physical it can be working out or running a marathon so chronic stress like running the marathon can actually increase your risk of heart disease yeah. rather than acute stress that's working out for 30 to 60 minutes now we need to look at chemical stress alcohol can be pretty bad smoking is terrible and actually off on a this is going off on a bit of a tangent but if I say to you Dan does smoking cause cancer what would you yes or no the immediate reactions yeah yeah and, I, and, and that, that is the most common and immediate reaction. But yeah. if smoking caused cancer, anyone that's ever smoked would have cancer. Would have cancer. Yeah. So it doesn't cause cancer, but it's it definitely increases your risk of cancer. Yeah. Now, does eating sugar or hyperglycemia cause heart disease? No, it's not the cause. It's a cause. Yeah. So there's not one cause to heart disease like the cholesterol hypothesis. Fat. That's it. Fat. We're, yeah, fat causes done. heart yeah. disease. Yeah, yeah. So there's numerous contributing things. factors, I suppose, yeah. is a better way of looking at exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Now, one thing as well is my mind is very scattered, so I'm going <laughs> off on another tangent. <laughs> but, but when we look at it, we back to our epithelial wall and our um, glycocalyx, it's made of collagen. Collagen is a protein. Now, collagen synthesis can occur with the help of vitamin C. Vitamin C, we, we, we don't make vitamin C. We can't make vitamin C. Humans, fruit, bats, hamsters are the only, and I think some sort of apes as well, can't make some vitamin C. There's a random fact. Yeah. But most animals make vitamin C. Okay. So in response to stress, our requirement for vitamin C goes up. When an animal's stressed, the requirement goes up, therefore they make more true glucose. When a human gets stressed, we require more vitamin C, but we don't make it therefore we need to consume it okay so back to that stress stress can deplete vitamin c vitamin c is needed to repair the arterial wall because vitamin c is responsible for collagen synthesis okay yeah 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 so vitamin c has definitely been shown to help collagen has been shown to help as well yeah and mitigating that stress that low level chronic stress yeah. and we think about vitamin c if if we were to find an organ or a tissue in the body with the highest abundance of vitamin c where would it be the adrenal glands is it, yeah. Yes. So the adrenal glands need that vitamin C. Okay. 
Yeah, and, and for any of the listeners, the adrenal glands produce epinephrine, yeah. norepinephrine, and cortisol. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's funny how usually you pair it back to the same thing at the end of the day. And because people get really, really overwhelmed sometimes. Like last time we were on talking about the guts, this time you're talking about cholesterol. Next time you're going to be on talking because it's going to be next time. Next time you're going to be on talking about something else. People get really overwhelmed. There's all these different things yeah. that they think about. So but what can they do? What can they do? But you've, you've kind of you've kind of alluded to it there really nicely. You bring it right back to before you even go down the road of looking at supplementation and stuff like that, try and normalize your stress levels. Try and figure out what's contributing to this. Um, and obviously, if it's dietary and issues like that, you have to you have to modify that. Well, just, just simple things as well as, okay, where are we eating? Are we eating on the go? Are we rushing our eating, meals yeah. down? Or are we eating with family? So it's, it's mad because people that go to church, people that go to church tend to have less incidence of cardiovascular disease. So is it that the fate factor That's or, is, funny, it, or it? is it that the community you go to, ah, oh, there's Dan, oh, yeah. there's Owen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think, and, and I, like it's this social interaction. Goes back to those blue zones. We spoke about the blue yeah, zones before well, as well. Yeah. yeah. So I think having a sense of purpose, Yeah. like it sounds airy fairy, but having a sense of purpose definitely can help. Um, yeah, having a, a, a tribe or a group of friends that you're always around really helps because social isolation you know, or feeling isolated and feeling that like there's no one around, that greatly increases your risk of heart disease, even greater than smoking or drinking alcohol. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. It's not, so, and think about people talk about alcohol, oh, you know, resveratrol and wine. Well, are you drinking a glass of wine with company? Or you drink a point by yourself? And, and you know, so yeah. it's, is it the alcohol consumption or is it the company in which you drink the alcohol as well? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, so having a sense of purpose, having structure, having people around you to care for you and you care for them. It's really do help so you know uh, back to like going to church I think having faith can help but also just maybe you know ha- sitting down having a family dinner or yeah. going sitting going for dinner with friends and whatnot can help obviously the food quality matters to an extent but so does the environment Hi guys, it's me again, just interrupting the podcast to remind you that today's guest for the second time is Coach Robbie Bennett from the Irish Strength Institute. And in this episode of the podcast, we're talking cholesterol, cardiovascular disease, and taking control of your own health in general. If you want to get in contact with the team here at Primal, drop us an email at info at primal.ie, that's Primal with a Y, or you can contact us on Instagram at PrimalPro, P-R-Y-M-A-L-P-R-O. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Yeah, you said that, and it's really interesting because it, it, it ke- again, it keeps coming back. You said there, it's really airy fairy, but I, I'm thinking back over all the, all the, the enjoyable conversations and the really valuable conversations yeah. I've had in the last four or five months with loads of different people, and at their core, they all say that they all say the same thing. Some people talk about nutrition, some people talk about exercise, some people talk about injury management, whatever, and they all start talking about purpose, and they all start talking about um, your motivation behind something that you're doing. You talked about eating there. Daniel Davies spoke about eating, and it's not so much about the food, but the environment in which you create the food, prepare the food, and eat the food is way more important sometimes. Um, it's it's and pe- people kind of there's two things you said that that I'm sure people are sitting. The first one you said was diabetic or pre-diabetic. And I'm sure people are kind of tuning out. I'm not diabetic or pre-diabetic. Yeah, yeah. But I know, because I saw it in the clinic, that there's a huge percentage of people out there that don't even know they're pre-diabetic. A massive portion of our population is pre-diabetic and they don't know because of oh, the of diet course. that we're eating. And because we're not looking at the right things either. And we're not looking at the right things. And they may they may never know until they become full-fledged di- diabetics. Um, but there's a, there's a, 
I would I would say everybody should understand what pre-diabetic and insulin levels mean because at some point, with, if we keep going the way we're going, unless you're very, very tuned in to your diet and your body, you're probably going to have issues with pre-diabetes or diabetes. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is, you mentioned there, uh, purpose and airy-fairy and all that kind of stuff. And again, I'm sure people go, it's not my purpose. That's not really well, quantifiable. What are people working for at the end of the day? Are they, are they working as a form of escape? Yeah. Are they working for a goal or a sense of achievement or whatnot? I'm huge on this. And again, it's why I'm doing this podcast because my purpose, what gives me real purpose is talking to people like you. And like every time we talk, I don't know, you say things like Daniel Welver, on this, not even close to someone like you. Like I have, a, I have a general understanding. I stood, I was a physiotherapist, so um, I, I, I have a real personal, passionate interest in this. But I get such value from hearing what you said, and then passing that information on. That is my own information, as Robbie's information that you've learned from somebody else. And then someone comes to me and says, "Jesus Christ, I didn't even know that." Yeah. I'm, that I'm changing my life, and trust me, people have now said that to me from the last episode that we had, which. That there's a real purpose in that for me. Well, education is empowerment as well. Massively, yeah. But I can feel from doing this kind of thing, my own stress and anxiety. I, I, like, I love coming in here. I have a purpose behind doing this. I'm not saying this to try and preach or anything like that. All I'm trying to paint a picture for people is, you, you've said it there, why are you doing what you're doing? And you can apply that to anything. And we're going to talk about exercise now in a minute yeah, as well, why you're doing exercise. You know what, also, I, I say to my clients all the time, and we've got a whiteboard in the gym, so I'll hand them a whiteboard mark and I'll say, right, Dan, right on the board, seven things you love to do. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you get up there and write seven things like a lie, fair play to you. Yeah. Most of my clients, be they struggle with it. they would be thinking. Yeah. And then they might get two, three, I'll give them a minute. So I time them so we're not there all day. And I'll say, okay, Dan, there are the seven things you love to do or the two things you love to do. How many times have you done them things that you love to do this week? And a lot of times, I haven't done that in months. I haven't played golf in ages. Yeah. yeah. Too busy work. Well, too what busy, the hell, you know? Busy. Yeah, too busy, too busy. Well, like, you know, tomorrow will never come. So yeah. you know, so be present. Don't be thinking, okay, you know, forward or or backward. Be present where you are right now. Yeah. And just back to blood sugar. Just one point I missed there as well is there was a study done where they they tracked individuals' blood glucose eating a meal, and they had them sit and watch a really boring presentation. Okay. What was the presentation? I, I, I forget what they used, but <laughs> but they had them sit and watch a presentation, and their blood sugar went up after that meal. They had them watch a comedian. And they got them laughing, and their blood sugar was lower after the meal. Jesus. See, you know, it's not being stressed when you eat that meal or being relaxed does have an impact. Makes a huge difference, yeah. 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 And I think this is, this is what I was trying to tie this in today. You've just done a really nicely there. These people who might be listening or who might hear about this stuff and they roll their eyes and they hear about meditation and gratitude and purpose and mindful eating and all this kind of stuff and roll their eyes. You're categorically telling me it is a contributing factor to people's health and the degradation yeah. of their health that they are not focusing on these aspects of their lives. Of 100%. So and what it, will happen? It's a health risk. Oh, yeah. And here's the thing. The body will speak to you. Yeah. So it'll speak to you in the form of fatigue, illness, screwed up bloods or pain or whatever. Yeah. The less you listen, the louder the body will speak. And the, the body will speak in hormone deficiency, in pain, in decreased libido in uh, impaired cognitive function. But again, the, the less you listen, the louder it will speak. Yeah. And the less you listen more, the louder and louder. And, and what happens is, then it's the strata. Was it the strata broke the camel's back or was it the accumulation of the other stresses on top of that? Yeah. And people can be broken. And so it's not just the one, oh, the silver bullet, the one food or the cholesterol levels. They need to change their whole lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah, these are all just indicators, I suppose, the cholesterol yeah. indicators of there's something going on underneath. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and in my experience and from talking to so many people, 
you do keep getting the same answer, which I asked at the start is people are given this and I'll call it an excuse. Look, I get it. We have to work with the pair of bills. It's not easy. Like, and I always say we're privileged to sit here now and be able to carve out an hour or so to have a chat during the day. It's not easy for people to make these changes, but it is possible. And that's what I keep trying to drive home. Anybody who says to you, well, sure, I can't. I've got five kids. I have to wait. It's like, fine, fine. I'm not telling you what to do, but have a think about yourself. What's the yeah. priority? If your health is the priority, you're like you're going to enjoy your five kids and your job way better if you're healthy and happy. So that should be a priority to you. And and if they're not a priority, we'll need to realize, okay, understand why they're not a priority. Why? So I'll ask my clients to list down the list of priorities and I don't expect me to be number one, you know. But yeah. but here's the thing. So I'll, I'll do this on the board and I, I do... I, draw a stick person and I write one. Then I draw a circle on the outside of the stick person and I write two and then draw another circle, a bigger circle and I write three. So I put you in the middle and I put something, uh, then I say friends, family on the other circle and the furthest circle I put ATOFs and that's the sequence that I, I feel that your list of priorities should be. You should be the first priority, your friends and family should be second and the ATOFs are all the other fuckers. <laughs> okay? But a lot of time all those other fuckers are your colleagues that you hate and work, the energy vampires, the people that suck energy, energy from you. Energy vampires, I love that. Yeah. yeah. All these people, and they're the people that you're prioritizing the most. And then, who's next? Your friends and your family. And who's last? You are. Yeah. I see this all the time. I have to bring the kids to this, do that. Uh, I have to do this for the boss. I have to, and they're wrecked at the end of the day. I'll tell you something. If you aren't prioritizing yourself, you cannot be a good husband. You can't be you know, a good wife, a good boyfriend, girlfriend, brother, sister, grandson. Colleague, trainer, yeah. dog, anything. Yeah. If you're not prioritizing yourself, that's an implosive behavior. Yeah, it's self-destructive behavior. Yeah. So you need to prioritize yourself first, so you can look after everyone else. And like that—that's a behavioral trait. People that um, never prioritize themselves and never look after themselves and are always looking after others, sacrificing their own health—they are the people that tend to get the worst cancers. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's and again, it, it, it this is hard for people to listen to or people to sort of swallow sometimes. But imagine if you and that colleague you're always fighting with, or you and your manager, and your manager's giving you a hard time, or whatever, that, and he's a bit of a dick, and you're being a bit of a dick to him. If if you focused on your health and happiness, and that person focused on the health and happiness, the chances are you're gonna have a great relationship together. Yeah. The, the, like I, I've seen that happen, and it's happened in my own life as well. Like if you start to kind of think, not be selfish, but you can still be caring and loving and all that kind of stuff. But if you start focusing on yourself and change, like. Again, we said it, but when you get a taste of what you can be, how healthy and happy you can be, how bright your day can be, and I'm not saying I'm there, and I know you're not saying you're there, and there's always work to do. Yeah. It's a mountain that you never get to the top of. But every little step you take in the right direction, some people talk to me about journaling, some people talk, Drew talks about his non-negotiables and his sea swimming, and some people talk about walking, some people talk about making changes in their diets, but they're all saying the same thing. I noticed that small little improvement in my life and my health, and it's easier to get out of bed in the morning. Yep. And I'm not sore, and I'm not, I don't have issues with libido and i'm actually having a great time now with my partner whatever like but it's always those small little steps so it doesn't have to be change your life now or you're no, gonna die it's like one simple thing you can add in to improve your quality of life one simple thing you can take away but it's it's never easy it's, not like easy, you said, yeah. it's simple but it's not easy it's simple yeah so you can give it like like i said the google maps analogy but like there's levels of discomfort i don't say pain i say discomfort yeah you know sometimes oh um having to wake up a little bit earlier to prep your breakfast you have to have let's say bacon and eggs instead of your porridge or your weedabix you know i have to get up 20 minutes earlier to do that a little bit of yeah. you know pr uh, having to prioritize that having to prep or having to get into that level of discomfort but you get a, a huge reward yeah yeah so it's and and here's the thing H um healthy people make happy people 
Yeah, okay. Yeah, and happy people right, make yeah. a happy world. Yeah. So <laughs> sounds cheesy, but we you, can have utopia. Yeah, yeah but you, you you see, um, there's a study, another study about how they gave fish oil to inmates in a prison states, and there was less aggression and fights. No way. Yeah, just from just from Are fish oil. Yeah. So you think about just improving someone's lipid panel, like or their their omega three to omega six ratio, actually changed the behavior of the inmates. Yeah. That's a huge one, actually. That's a big area. We're gonna we'll dive into it because a lot of the time, people who struggle with mental health or even mood or ha- like I don't I don't want to I, I don't like to categorize things and put people in a box as depression or anxiety or whatever. But people who struggle with their mood or struggle with problems in their day or um, which I suppose is probably a huge amount of people nowadays because we deal with so much. Oh yeah, of course. Day. So th- most people are in a position where they're not as happy as they could be every day, and little things in their life become big things in their heads. A lot of that sometimes can be a physiological imbalance. It can be a nutritional deficiency. It can be a hormone imbalance. Can be most so of the time. It probably is. I don't want to say that now, but it's a contributing know. factor. It's a definitely contributing factor. And I mean, if you just said they've given fish oils and they've managed to influence behavior because people are healthier and they're a bit happier and they're less aggressive. Like that's a big sign to me that anybody who's really and motivation. Sorry, it's kind of a, a a loop thing, really. A lot of people would struggle to do anything that you're speaking about here because they don't they can't find the motivation from somewhere to do it. Like, yeah, uh, I remember asking Owen about this before, and he was saying, "Well, if they come, if they get to you, they're motivated." But there's a huge amount of people. You probably see one percent of people who could probably. Do I it see motivated help. population when you they come say to motivated population because they're they're there. They've they managed want to, get to change. Out of the bed, you get need to the want to change. Yeah, and sometimes. Like I had an interesting conversation um, about biohacking, and like bio. Uh, yeah, and, and that word for me, I kind of cringe. Yeah, you cringe because, because for me, when I so I associate that word with a shortcut. Yeah, but that's just my association. With other people might hear some other people, things. and I'm just going to give you my experience from talking to loads of people about this. Because at the start, I was all like, "Oh, biohacking, that's real cool." And I saw you got your LED panel or your your red oh, yeah, panel. Yeah, yeah. There. That's cool. We, we'll chat about that, but. Uh, at the start, I was like, oh, I just love all this tech stuff. It's really cool. It's going to make me superhuman or whatever. And then I went through a period of exactly what you just said. I was cringing every time someone meant biohack because I was like, that means they're not actually going to take responsibility for their health. They're going to look for a quick fix. And then I've come full circle and now I have both sides of that. And I'm kind of like, some people can't come and see you because they can't get out of their bed. They can't get out of their house. They can't motivate themselves to do that one thing that I keep banging on about and preaching about and that you keep telling people we can do this. Some people can't even get there. Maybe sometimes a little biohack or a little little helping hand is just enough to get them motivated to that point. I don't let me say this right now. I don't think anybody should just get a red light panel and that'll be no, them for like, the rest of their life. But that might be a, another contributing factor towards good health. But when someone someone feels good, they're more likely to do it. So when you have someone that comes in that feels like crap, like uh, for. Some some doctors that you're familiar with might, let's say, prescribe certain hormones. Yeah. But if if you have someone, a guy that's got low testosterone, and then they get prescribed testosterone, they will feel like Superman initially because they feel so shit. Yeah. And yeah. they feel good. They're more likely. Oh, I'll train a bit more. Yeah. Oh, I'll eat a bit better. Self fulfilling prophecy yeah. almost. Yeah. So for me, I might increase red meat in someone's diet. Yeah. Or and and let's say nuts, or give them a fish oil, and their mood is better. Their blood sugar is more stable, and how they can do what I'm asking them to do. Yeah. So. You could call that biohacking, but simple little things, habits you add in to have a substantial effect. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I really like about it as well. Yeah. 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 What's the minimum amount you can do to get the maximum reward? Yeah. People come to me all the time and say, Robbie, you're right. I need to get training. I want to do three, four, five times a week. I go, no, you need to earn the right to train. You can't just come to the gym and have your stress levels through the roof, your physical stress, your nutritional stress. You are not sleeping. Your sugars are all high. Your 
environment, the people you work with, and you know all these stresses. Put them in a bucket. They've accumulated and they're flowing over. And you want me to train you four or five times a week and put another stress to that. I'm going to run you into the, the ground. Right? So when I see clients, I might do one twice a week. And then the stronger they get, the better they sleep, the more they have earned a third session or a fourth session. But you have to earn your sessions. It, it's, that's how it works for me. Yeah. you got to earn the right to train. Yeah. That was a lovely segue. Are you pro? You run a podcast or something? Yeah, that's a lovely smooth segue because what we're actually going to talk about next is, is the exercise and the stress. Just before we dive into it, just to wrap the cholesterol thing up in a neat yeah. little bow for everybody in case there was, there was a lot of really, there was a really, lot, yeah, a lot of great information there. And But sometimes, again, that can just be huge for people. So essentially what we're saying, or what you're saying, I'm one of these people now. So what you're saying is, uh, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. Yeah, you're going to bend, I'm, bend, I'm gonna bend the truth a little bit here. No, I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you wrap it up in your own way. But just in my own, because you've explained it really nicely to me there. Um, in, in terms of cholesterol, don't get worked up about that number. Yeah. Definitely work with all the professionals you can and get all the data you can about yourself. But don't make decisions, panicked decisions based on a single factor or a single test or a single number. Start exploring the deeper side of things, start looking at the the, the, the bigger picture and it, it doesn't necessarily mean people have to see you or see a doctor or see anybody but they do have to start taking responsibility to understand the deeper level of what's going okay, on. Okay, yeah. yeah. You no, know, is anyone get, to, saying that? Totally, yeah. So, like, if I just give a couple of bullet points, don't get hung up over that number. Yeah. Number two, if you drop that number, is it going to improve your quality of health? No. Is it going to extend your health span or your lifespan? No. So why would you drop that number in isolation? Would you not fix the other factors? Next, one thing I don't think I talked about was people that have the highest, highest, yeah, highest cholesterol levels tend to live the longest. Excuse me? People that have the highest cholesterol levels tend to live the longest. If you have a lower cholesterol level, it increases your risk of dying and increases your risk of cancers. I'm laughing because I heard that before, so I'm I'm, I'm giving the fake shot, but I'm sure people are going, "Hold on, did he did he say I that said wrong?" That, yeah, did people he said that, that backwards. Or, no, he's he's saying the right yeah. he's saying the right way around it. Yeah. So I believe the study was the Framingham study. You can check it out. But in the study, they I'm paraphrasing, but I believe the level was a level between five point six and six point five. Was and that's like it was a, when people that's European units. If you people think about that as a total cholesterol level, sometimes people are prescribed medication for that. Yeah. That level was when people lived the longest. So <laughs> we got back to what we talked about, like yeah. you know. But th- those individuals that have the cholesterol levels that high, they might have a sense of purpose. They might have surroundings and good environment. They might be getting out in the sun, getting adequate vitamin D. Yeah, all so these not things. Not just that number. And again, just to be the devil's advocate here, just because the, the number doesn't mean the high cholesterol doesn't mean they were going to live longer. It was the surrounding factors, and the high cholesterol was probably a symptom of that I'm going to call it a symptom but not, a non-negative symptom obviously in this case yeah so it, like if you are concerned about these factors one manage your sugars two take toxic people out of your life three do the things that you enjoy to do yeah. and do them frequently yeah. be present and if you want to look into your like get your body NCT yeah, you know yeah, a little yeah. bit more because the thing is you can buy a new car you can get a new house you can't really trade in your body no you can't Yeah. so you need to prioritise when you have so maybe get a blood sugar meter. Start checking your sugars. You don't want huge variability in your sugars. I'm so familiar at looking at American units, but you generally don't want your blood glucose over 120 after a meal. You want it between 75 and 90 fasting. Okay. That's American units. So you can go on Google and you can convert that. I think it works out as like 4.5 to about 5.5 or 5.2 European. That's fasted. Okay. And then if, if it's above that, Fasted, 
you may have blood sugar issues or insulin resistance or pre-diabetic tendencies. But if your sugar is going over that 120 mark after meals, the higher it is, that is causing vascular damage. Yeah. So another thing, uh, you mentioned uh, uh, the calcium score test. A calcium score test is, in my opinion, the uh, that and insulin. A fasting insulin level is a, the biggest predictor of cardiovascular disease. If you work with your doctor and have a relationship with your doctor, but if they're um, comfortable testing that, that's a really good marker. But a calcium score test is fantastic. Calcium score test, I, do, I think one of the reasons why it's not as popular is there's no drug to lower your calcium score. Okay. There's a drug to lower cholesterol. And then we're into a whole different ballgame yeah, yeah. there now, yeah. But... Um, Calcium score test is really, really good. If you get a high score back, that is strongly associated with increased risk of stroke or heart attack. Now, the thing is, it's not a death sentence. There's things you can do to okay. improve that, but you really need to prioritize your diet. Very rarely, well, you can decrease that number, but usually if you have a high number, it's about not letting it increase and keeping it, minimizing it. Yeah. Damage control. Okay. Okay, I get you. And then just one last... That's not a blood test, by the way. That's, uh, I think, it's a CT scan. Oh, a CT scan. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and just one last thing I'd like to say on, on that point, because I'm thinking of all the people that might listen to this. If you are currently on a statin or you are currently in a position where you're dealing with cholesterol issues or whatever like that, this is not scaremongering or to frighten no, anybody. Yeah, that's you a very good point. You can still do all this. You can still optimize your health. And the chances are you're going to have a much healthier, happier, longer life if you still focus on your purpose, on your diet and all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah. And also just making sure you don't be scared of fat. Yeah. Um, if you are on a statin drug, make sure you're taking CoQ10 with it. Okay. Because CoQ10 depletes, or statins deplete CoQ10, and CoQ10 is most abundantly found in your heart. Okay. So that's kind of important. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, and make sure you're balancing your sugars, doing what you want to do when you're sleeping well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, perfect. Right, well, I'm going to go back to your, cut back to your smooth segue to, to exercise yeah. as well, because we were, we, were, we were getting into a nice flow there on um, adding stress on top of other stress, which is another thing I, I'm very passionate about not doing, is adding more stress on top of stress. Um, a lot of the people I would speak to, I have a sport background, you have a gym background, you mean you're, you're a trainer as well as, as obviously a guru and all, <laughs> all the world of functional medicine. Um, and training and exercise, particularly nowadays and over the last 10 years, has really come to the forefront. It's very popular, it's very chic, there's a lot of people in the, the aesthetics. It's trendy. It's trendy, yeah. Um, and I think, look, I think it's great. It's better than heroin being trendy, is exercise being trendy, you know what I mean? Yeah. But there, there, there is a balance to be found with exercise as well. And a huge part of what you do with clients too is exercise-based. And if, if you're having a conversation with anybody about their health, whether you're qualified or not qualified, the couple of areas to touch on are sleep, manage your stress, to sort of your nutrition, and make sure you're moving or exercising. Um, but the exercise thing I find really, really interesting from two angles. One, from a performance and a sport-based point of view, and two, from a, we call it general population or gen pop, whatever, people who just want to be functionally healthy. But can you talk to us a little bit about the way you would look at exercise for a client? We don't have to look at a specific client now or, or, or whatever. But what I'm trying to get at here is that the motivation and the goal behind doing something is very, very important. And there's a huge amount of people going and they're flogging themselves with exercise or they're doing the wrong types of exercise. But they don't need that, that even a concept to them because exercise is exercise, right? Like any exercise is good exercise. But in your very smooth segue there, you were talking about stress on top of stress and you were talking about that full bucket. And, you, and I've had that conversation with a few people now. I think it's really, really important, particularly for younger people, because I think an, the older generation tend to just find a nice balance and there's a good bit of walking or maybe jogging or aerobic exercise there. But the younger generation now have access to CrossFit and, and Olympic weightlifting and all this kind of stuff that they might not necessarily have an understanding of and they're young and they're going yep. in. 
and they're going hell for leather and all this kind of stuff and it's great but there is a toll there and you said something really interesting there which I love because I use this point all the time about the marathon runner and the traditional concept of someone who's a marathon runner or I've spoken to bodybuilders and I spoke to Drew about this as well is that you're looking at this person and he can run all those miles. Wow, he must be super healthy. You look at this person, looks there's like... There's fitness a, and there's health. Fitness and health, yeah. You look at a, a bodybuilder, he looks like a Greek god. That person must be the picture of health and actually they're dying on the inside. Yeah. Like, um, so could you speak to a little bit about, about the stress of exercise and appropriate selection of exercise for, for, for different kind of people who are looking for different goals? Yeah, so I say this to all my clients, there's training hard and there's training intelligently. Yeah. Just because you're training hard and they're tough sessions doesn't mean they're productive to your goals. So when we look at stress, there's really three types of stress. There's good stress, which would be an acute stress that's bringing you closer to your goals. I consider good stress as in a physical workout, resistance training workout. There's tolerable stress. Tolerable stress might be having an argument with your boyfriend and girlfriend, you know? Okay. It's, uh, Sometimes that's not terrible. Yeah, and then there's bad stress when that argument <laughs> yeah, continues okay, a little bit further. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. you know, so I need to understand the clients I see, they have other stressors in their lives, so I can only give them a, a training program that will stimulate them enough that they have the ability to recover from. Okay. If I push them over the edge that, and they cannot recover from it, that's not a productive session. Yeah. Now, there's some a, a term called sarcopenia. Mm-hmm. And sarcopenia is muscle wasting. Yeah. So as people age, our hormones decline and so does our muscle mass. And as our muscle mass declines, we we age greater and we have increased risk of all these diseases and bone and mineral density loss and all these things. But there isn't the disease of aging. Okay. So if there's a disease, there's a medication to treat a disease. Yeah. But aging isn't classified a disease yet. It may be in the next five, ten, there maybe, is interesting maybe, conversation maybe 15 or 20 point, years. Yeah. But right now, aging isn't a disease. Therefore, there's no medications to treat it. And we know there's some medications out there that really, really help. But, but um, you could consider resistance training a, a medication to this as well. Because resistance training, when I have my clients in the gym, I'm not working them out to burn calories. I have them working out to build muscle. Because the more muscle mass I can build, the bigger the, the greater the engine they're going to have, the better the metabolic rate, the better the insulin sensitivity and the blood sugar levels, and the better they're going to age. Because we all lose muscle as we age, but the more muscle we bring into our later years, the better. So we can move better, feel better, live better. Okay, I find that really interesting. So a direct connection yeah. between muscle or lean muscle mass, I suppose, and longevity. Oh, of course. Deadly. Yeah. yeah, and quality of life. Yeah. So think about what populations have the least amount of muscle mass, the diseased populations. Yeah, yeah, true. Also, when we look at muscle, okay, let's think about your quads, your glutes, your biceps. Muscles are essentially proteins. Protein is broken down, what is it? Amino acids. Yeah. So muscle is a reservoir or that bucket of amino acids. Okay. Amino acids are responsible for your hormones and your immune system. So what's the first thing that happens when someone gets sick and they're bed bound? They lose a lot of muscle yeah. because their body is breaking down muscle mass in order to fight a viral infection or a bacteria or to get back to homeostasis. Okay. So when when people are old and frail, they usually have very little muscle mass because they wonder the hormones are declining, but usually they're fighting off bacteria or viruses or whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I only spoke about this yesterday. The phrase I love is become hard to kill. Yeah. And like become hard to kill in all senses, like train, become strong, become fit. 
boost your immune system, sleep well. Resilient, become resilient. Become resilient. But the, the stoicism thing as well, train your mind to become hard to kill, resist emotional well, stress. Well, here's the thing. You, you can't build a strong body without, without building a strong, a strong mind. mind. Yeah. People think they're separate things. They're yeah. not. They're the one thing. So you come into the gym and... You, you, you do, a, let's say, 10 sets of 10 squats. You build your muscle. The, the mind has to become resilient to be able to do that because sometimes people come to the gym and they're, they're not capable of pushing their, their bodies physically because mentally they're, they're not there. Yeah. So that can be trained to an extent. Okay. And here's, here's a slight stigma that's kind of been kind of dispelled nowadays over the last few years anyway, and specifically for women. Women and muscle mass, there's the same correlation between oh, an increase yeah, in yeah, health. Yeah. But like women, women have, and again, I'm saying it's changing now because there are there's a better understanding of this in general. There's a lot more women and females training resistance training to build muscle mass. Yeah, well, it used to be skinny as sexy. Now it's strong. Now it's sexy. strong as sexy. Yeah, yeah and, and all that kind of crack. And, and there is an aesthetic element to, to women wanting to train like that as well. But there is an understanding of I'm not going to get big and buff and have huge shoulders or whatever if I do resistance training it's actually going to improve my health in general. And I started off with this whole kind of bone density thing, women with bone density issues and, and yeah. who are having legion of their bone minerals. Or and whatever, that's so common. Which is massively common, yeah. Um, but, and, but there's more to it than just that. Like women should not be afraid of resistance training. They should embrace resistance training. Yeah, yeah. of course. Like resistance training for women is massively important. And like you said, improving that bone mineral density. And like, like I said, it's so hard to build muscle. You can walk down the street and... You, you, we'll use the example of guys. You walk in the street, you can see an overweight person or an obese person. It's quite common. Yeah. You rarely see a guy who looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger walking yeah. in the street. So it's very hard to build muscle for guys. Now, for women, just because they've got a hugely different hormonal profile, it's much more difficult. So sometimes people say, to me, I don't want to get too big, Robbie. Good luck with that. <laughs> Unless you're <laughs> yeah, taking copious off. amounts of hormones, yeah. you ain't going to happen. Unless you're changing your hormonal profile, yeah. it's not going to happen. Um, but like, like I said, when you when you build muscle, you build that confidence, strong body, strong mind. It it, it just helps for um, mood issues, for energy, yeah. confidence, for everything. Like, but um, it just when you, when you when we talked about so much about you know labs and sugars and cholesterol, by building muscle, you're improving your your biomarkers, your or your your blood panels significantly. Yeah. So it, it's super important. And people talk about okay, well, like oh, red meat being bad and whatnot. Red meat is probably one of the most nutritionally dense foods on the planet next to let's say eggs or organ meats so i'm a huge uh, i really recommend red meat organ meats eggs stuff like that just because for our cholesterol levels for our bones for our muscle mass for the the amino acids for our brain for our neurotransmitters it's so important but doesn't too much red meat cause colon oh my cancer God, right yeah. <laughs> that's a that's another topic <laughs> altogether yeah yeah and i don't mean to be flippant about these kind of things because it is important and there are people out there struggling with different illnesses yeah. but the facts are that we're being misled or it's been misrepresented the data is not the data and there's social politics at play here that that influence people's health and my only goal here is not to try and make someone eat meat or become a vegan or argue about the game changes document or whatever i don't really care what anyone else does Unless it's making them miserable, and I can see it's making them miserable, and I know there's information out there that could help them, then I'm like, why, like, why are you listening to this influencer who's telling you that they're gone vegan? If you want to go vegan, go vegan, fine, for your own reasons. But That's don't confirmation bias as well. Maybe they, they, an influencer that they watch is on that diet, or maybe they've done it before, and they can't get it out of their head that maybe that is not the right thing to be doing. Yeah. It's, it's easier to learn, or 
it's easier to learn something correctly than it is to learn something incorrectly and relearn and it. relearn it. I wonder anyone who's drives know that it's hard to get yeah. rid of your bad habits or whatever. Um, and then like it's it's this nature nurture thing as well. If you've grown up learning a certain thing with your parents, like a religion or a way of life or whatever, and you go to a different culture, it's very hard to understand why those people are doing that. So it's understandable if you've learned something. Yeah. Most of these people are just virtue signaling them online, though. They, they don't actually believe in any of the causes, but they've heard something. And it's like every every political argument you have, there's someone saying, if you don't agree with me, you're wrong, because if you eat meat, you're supporting industrialised farming in America. And that documentary is terrible. It's like, yeah. I obviously don't support cruelty to animals. But I also understand that red meat is massively nutritious. And those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. I don't have to pick a side there. I yep. disagree with that industrialised farming, but I think red meat is very good for you. Those two things aren't... But, but you can't say both those things because one is a vegan statement and one is a red meat statement. No. That's the kind of thinking that really causes people's health to become compromised. And you've told me stories, and so many people have told me stories, and I have personal contacts who've told me stories about they made a change to their health or their diet based on a recommendation from a movie or an Instagram or something, and they feel miserable, and all their biomarkers drop. But now, this is the healthy way of doing things. Now, do you know what I hear as well a lot of time, and not <laughs> to bash vegan or vegetarian diets, but when they're on an omnivorous diet and they've eaten red meat before and they go on a vegan or vegetarian diet, they do it for two to three months and they are ranting and raving about how great it is. Well, of course it is. You've only eaten meat four weeks ago or six weeks ago. You're going to feel great. You haven't really screwed yourself up yet. But yeah. if you're a year or two years in the diet like that, that's when people see see the effects. I've, I've heard so many stories about initially they feel great and then all of a sudden they start, eh, their hair gets a little bit thinner. Yeah weight gain just, yeah. and then it just it's a snowball effect but like yeah that that's generally what happens but that's that's one thing I see people are not on a diet for long enough to see the detrimental effects yeah. a lot of time yeah and they understand how a diet is going to manifest itself in your health like oh tomorrow I'm going to feel better well actually the changes are going to take months and months and months and yeah. it's going to be slow burn you're probably going to see them because it's going to be so slow until the day you're like oh I'm really sick and like oh yeah, this has been happening for the last six months. That, that's the thing. Like if I give you a cup of coffee right now, you'll have acute effects straight away. Yeah. If I give you, let's say, some vitamin C today or a B vitamin or a piece of red meat, that might have preventative effects yeah. down the line yeah. rather than having an acute effect that you feel there and then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which is why a lot of this media is very misrepresenting because they're they're showing you like alarmist things like he had a burger today and then tomorrow he was this or he ate an avocado today and tomorrow he was brilliant as it was well, it, it's very it doesn't work short like term short term and disingenuous because it, it doesn't paint the yeah, full it's for shock value as well shock value yeah yeah but not not to get off track because we were on exercise we were flying yeah, yeah. out exercise become harder to kill i think was the the, the, the we were looking at there. yeah yeah become a bit more resilient and, and yeah and the point with exercise was very very important to find that that balance between what's the right amount and like everyone has heard the whole recovery is, is more important than the exercise side of things but most people don't actually follow that and they also think in my opinion okay I've done a session on a Sunday and my next session is not till a Tuesday so I've loads of recovery but what did you do to Sunday and Monday Yeah, you, you were stressed out of your mind you were dealing with work you were paying the mortgage you were with the kids you were blah 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 that's all stress as well like you're not technically recovering then um, and I know you guys have um, the, the float tanks down there as well Um and that's a, a form of active, suppose, recovery in one way. Yeah, you know? of course. But there is, it's as important to consider recovery an active pursuit as it is to, to, to just sit on your ass because you're probably dealing with emotional stresses. You're probably, so you, uh, sorry, the point I'm trying to make in a really roundabout way is the recovery and the type of exercise you do is massively important to actually sit down and plan and consider depending on your goal, not just going flog yourself, hell for letter, I'm going to do loads of exercise and that will make me healthy because it's not as simple as that. 
Yeah, so like you can only manage what you can measure. Yeah. So we need to if like I, I can ma- measure workouts because I can track the progression of weight or the fitness levels and whatnot. But for our clients, it's energy, cravings, mood, and fatigue. Okay, so what is fatigue essentially? It's our body trying to prevent us from doing too much too soon or too fast, and it's a body. It's like it's our body putting on the brakes and saying, "No, I don't want to want you to do more harm than is necessary." Yeah. So when does really fatigue occur in the gym? When you really push it. Yeah. Okay. So the fitter you get, the more you can do in the gym. The body hates stress. It doesn't like stress. So anything that takes um, the body out of homeostasis, which is the body's optimal blood sugar, blood pressure, pH, all this, is a stress. The greater you leave, or the greater degree it leaves homeostasis, the more fatigue it, it is to the body, and the longer it takes to get back. Okay. Then the more you take it out of homeostasis, the better, uh, um, you could say, fitness, or the better it gets at going back in there, given it gets adequate recovery. Yeah, yeah, okay. So that's one thing. So in order for it to get better at a stress, you must expose it to the stress a numerous amount of times. It's called the said principle, specific adaptation to impose demand. Exactly. So a good example of of stress to the body would be for anyone that's ever lifted weights before, the first thing that happens when they go into the gym, they might do a chin-up or a a deadlift, they get calluses on their hands. Well, they don't get calluses on their hands initially, they get blisters. That's their body's uh, adaptation or or the body's stressing because of, or adaptation to a stress. Yeah. Yeah. Now what happens is this, the next time you go in that time after that, what happens is the skin actually thickens in that area because it's adapting and it does not want that workout to be as stressful as it was the first time. Yeah. So you get better at it. So that's the same like there's the principle principle of overload. When you go to the gym, you might be able to do an empty bar for ten reps and no more, and that's too stressful. The next day you go in twenty kilos a little bit easier, so you do twenty five kilos. And you progressively overload it because the fitter you get, the stronger you get, the more of a, an overload you need to to uh, have that stress and adaptation response. Yeah. But you need stress. People need stress acutely, but they need to have the adaptation from it. That's the issue. People are having a stress in the gym, nutritional stress from the coffee and the scone they've had directly after the workout. Their sleep was terrible. They got um, they got emails in the middle of the night to woke them up. They had to do a phone call and they had terrible food for breakfast. They had an argument with whoever in the house then. You know, this is the issue. There's chronic levels of stress. There's anabolic hormones, which are growth-promoting hormones, and there's catabolic hormones. Catabolism ages people faster. Catabolism, the most catabolic hormone we have in the body is cortisol. It can be catabolic of muscle tissue, but it can be sometimes anabolic of adipose or fat tissue because cortisol acutely can be great if we get the adaptation. Cortisol chronically, cortisol influences their sugars. Guess what direction it brings them? Up. Yeah. Hyperglycemia. So stress by having an argument or whatever caused that stress can now increase the risk of going for looping back around to cardiovascular disease. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I and mean, it so we, we've got the stress, we've got the increased sugar. With the increased sugar, we've got insulin kicking in. Yeah. With insulin bringing our sugars down, we got hyperglycemia, which causes cravings. We eat the scone, our sugars go back up. Yeah. We've broken down that glycalyx, which I talked about. Yeah. And there's that spiral. So uh, in short, acute stress is great because we have that. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. But when we can't adapt from it, that's where it causes issues. So you can only train as frequently as you can recover from. So we look at tools that can track or measure recovery. 
heart rate variability is an amazing tool to track your readiness to train or your ability to recover. There's apps out there that do it. I, I have one on me right now called the Aura Ring. Oh, very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. talk about biohacker. Yeah, you're looking so, at a big yeah, biohacker yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, you're right. plugged in. You're, you're in the system. Yeah, so the Aura Ring tracks your heart rate variability, tracks your, your stages of sleep, and tracks your heart readiness to train. So the, and there's like Fitbits and Apple Watches and Polar heart rate straps. These are all decent tools. They're not very invasive and, and they can give us a lot of information about our bodies. People yeah. generally are terrible at reading their own bodies. So we need to have these devices sometimes to track. Yeah. That's that's one good thing. Um, yeah, like there's other apps out there measure sleep and whatnot. But it's heart rate variability is a cheap, effective way to measure your broad stressors. Yeah, yeah. And then you can then use that data to make decisions about yeah but, he, but here's the thing as well right, yeah. so it's not the number or it's not like if i get a result from a hrv or I get a result from sugars or i get a result from a testosterone panel or whatever it's not the number it's, it's the, the value is not the lab the value is the interpretation okay of the lab because i could show you my heart rate variability and your interpretation might be different than mine so the value is in the coach yeah, yeah. Well, I need to know: Are you an Olympic coach or Olympic coach, Olympic athlete, or are you? Mary? Yeah. Or when's the last time I trained? How did I do it? Did I do a six to twenty five legs today, or was today a rest day? Yeah. And how does my HRV look? So you need to know what's going on yeah. and the other factors as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is one of the reasons we love having you on, Robbie, because the last time you were on, you took a well-known phrase: "You are what you eat," and you broke it down and you made it, Robbie. Is you are what you digest, absorb, and assimilate. So it's not actually what yeah, you yeah, eat. Yeah. What you, and this one, what, what did you just say there? Uh, Oh, what doesn't kill you make it stronger? Uh, not necessarily. It's only if you have the ad- that adaptation afterwards. <laughs> so we're getting loads so of these ones out here. Stealing people's quotes and you're banging them, them out. More. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but to put that in context for people about the stress and the exercise, if you are embarking on an exercise program or you're making decisions about your exercise in ter- or your physical health or whatever, you need to take these points into account. And also, you don't need to, if you have done nothing in six months or six years or six decades, you don't have to go out tomorrow and run a marathon in order to be healthy it's not the way to do it you need to go out tomorrow and go for a gentle five minute walk yeah, and then crawl before you walk. can walk crawl walk before you can walk. run and so on but yeah. if you're doing a workout that you despise or you can't stand your trainer <laughs> you're, you're, that is a stress to the body you yeah. working out should be fun to an extent yeah. it should be playtime you know so humans are meant to move they're meant to you know not an expert movement so you need to have fun in the gym. Find the best exercise is the one you enjoy. Now, I can't stand step aerobics or Zumba or all this, but you know what? I don't think it's a great form of exercise, but if, if you love it, yeah. go for it. Yeah, because it's going to give you a lot more than doing something you hate. It's gonna. It's better than doing nothing. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're going there and you're seeing all your, maybe you cannot know because there's, a bit, there's restrictions on yeah, groups, sure, but yeah. if you're seeing your five best friends at your Zumba class, you know, it's probably going to help, you know? Yeah, Because yeah. there's that community aspect, so go for it. But find the exercise you enjoy. Yeah. Fortunately for me, the, cl- the clients I see do enjoy doing the exercises. Um, but you know what? There's the steak and potatoes of the program. The exercise that must kind of be done. Get the work done. The yeah. But then there's the fluffy stuff at the end or the, the dessert. The exercise that they say, you know, Robbie, can I do High rep bicep curls. Let's or, go. Yeah, a bit of biceps, a bit of triceps. You know, some yeah, lads yeah, or yeah. for the, the ladies. Can we do a bit of glutes or a bit, a bit of, of abs. Yeah. Now that exercise might not be the most effective. Yeah. But, then but if we finish out the workout on a high, there you go. I really enjoyed that one. I'm going to keep yeah, that in. Rather yeah, than yeah. just right, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to push the sled. Yeah. You know, for so has to, like you have to give a little as well, but as well as well as get them the results they want. Yeah. Yeah. That actually that's that's a lovely way of tying it up there because there's so many messages nowadays on both sides. 
you've just said you have to enjoy it and it has to be enjoyable for yeah. you. That's a massive part of it. But you're also getting this message for you have you're gonna have to suffer and you're gonna to put the work in if you want to achieve this goal. And it's true, if you have a specific goal, there is work that needs to be done to get there. But if your goal is to be healthier and to be happier and to be like not none of us as well, not none of us, not, not all of us are training to break records and training exactly, for right. PBs. If you're doing that, yeah, there's a certain amount of grind you have to do. But you make sure you take care of all the other aspects of stress we just talked about as well. And there's no problem then putting yourself through that trauma. And we've talked about a lot of different aspects where people Shoot. don't t- think about it. People come into me and go, I need to get training. Yeah. I don't worry about that diet. The diet's grand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, is yeah, it? Yeah. Well, someone's interpretation of the diet compared to my interpretation can be vastly can be different. different. Yeah, it probably is going to be vastly different. You know? Um, but if your goal is to be healthy and just exercise more in general, there are millions of ways to skin this cat. And the most yep. important thing is that you're enjoying doing it. You don't have to suffer. Workouts are hard. I hate working out, but I absolutely love the, fin- the feeling. No the one end. regrets doing a workout Never. after. They might despise, oh, no, that Robbie guy, don't, I know it's legs today. Yeah. But when they get it done, I've heard it so much. Oh, I was dreading coming down, but I enjoyed that. Yeah, it's, it's almost always the case. But yeah, your, like your hormone profile after the workout, your neurotransmitters, something called BDNF, brain-derived nootropic factor. Yeah. So making your your headspace feel good. Yeah. Cognition, memory, you're all this harder sort of stuff. to kill. Yeah, you're more resilient. You're more resilient. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you know, we're building terminators. That's what you want. I mean, like I said earlier, if we had all these people who were feeling good and moving good, geez, it would be this utopia that you're talking about. Yeah, like we, exactly. would, we would have a lot less problems in the world because we would create another problem for ourselves. Just, just too much miscommunication out there. Yeah, I and think so. I don't think there's enough attention span. Sometimes they see a headline, yeah. da 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 does this or da 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 does that, and then. Ah, haven't even read the abstract, haven't read the conclusion, <laughs> haven't read the results and the methodology, but yeah. that must be it. Oh, Robbie, did you hear fish oil does this or meat does this? And, you know, they, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In college, I'm laughing now because in college, I was a big I was a big conclusions fan. I just read the conclusion. Yeah, yeah. But you started sending me articles and I was like, I better fucking read these articles because he's going to ask me questions. And you asked me one question, I couldn't give you the answer, but you're going to ask me questions and I'm not going to answer. And he's going to say, Dan, I sent you that article and I'm going to feel real guilty. So now I read the articles that you sent me. Um, but Robbie, look, if, if there's people like you out there giving information like you've just given over the last, the last what are we, hour and 20 minutes, there's hope because if we can kind of get this stuff out ahead of the Facebook headlines and the people who are just reading the abstracts, then there's definitely hope because I think you offer massive value. I always enjoy talking to you and I just want to say thanks very much again for coming on. Well, I appreciate you o- having me back. Undoubtedly. I'm going to be calling you in three or four weeks again <laughs> saying, Robbie, you're going to have to come back on because they're asking more questions about ABC and D, but uh, I really appreciate your time. It's always great to talk to you. I'm very passionate about the things you're passionate about as well, so it's a pleasure um, and thank you on behalf of me and the listeners. Thanks so much for, for sharing with us um, and we hope to see you soon. Cheers, I appreciate that, Dan. And uh, just also, if anyone does want to reach out to me... The, My the, bad, I should have I should have given you your, yeah, your little... Don't worry, I'm getting that in there anyway. <laughs> uh, so I, I do have a podcast, my, uh, and it's called The Health Focus Podcast on Spotify, on iTunes, and on a couple of other sites. You can check that out. Um, and then if you want to contact me as well, my Instagram account, which is Robbie underscore health underscore focus. But, you know, if we're finishing or anything, just you need to take respond, responsibility for your own actions and take responsibility for your own health. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, I'll, I'll vouch for that podcast all day. The value is just immense. And if you follow Robbie on Instagram, or any of the seminars and stuff, it is incredible that you're getting this stuff for free. I should be paying every time I listen to your podcast, as I feel like I might cut this bit out because I want to boost my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, genuinely get on it. If you're not on it, if you're interested in, in taking control of your own health, this is how you do it. You listen to people like you. So uh, thanks very much, Robbie. Cheers, Dan. And there we go, another banger from coach Robbie Bennett from the Irish Strength Institute. Just a little thanks to Robbie for coming on the show again, and prep your notes for the next episode, because we are definitely doing a round three. 
if you want to get in contact with the team here at Primal to discuss anything we spoke about on today's podcast, you can email us at info at primal.ie or get in contact with us through Instagram at primalpro, P-R-Y-M-A-L-P-R-O. If you want to get in contact with Robbie, you can find him on Instagram at Robbie underscore health underscore focus. And don't forget to listen to Robbie's podcast, the Health Focus podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I promise you, you will learn so much from that podcast. Guys, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do show your support by subscribing to the podcast wherever you listen and give us a five-star rating if you think we deserve five stars on Apple Podcasts. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and we will see you on the next one.